Never underestimate a badass basic bitch. I'm Courtney. I'm done fitting into what everybody else needs me to fit into. And I'm Brianna. You are the only one that can make this change. We're here to bring you the Badass Basic Bitch Podcast. We're going to share the untold stories and dive deep into the shit nobody talks about. Buckle up, we're totally unfiltered, about to get very sassy and inviting you into some of our most intimate conversations. Welcome Welcome to to the the Baddie Bee Club. There's evidence to show that actually if we can sort of retrain our brain to be a bit more present focused, that actually alleviates us from being in the past, which can often bring us down, or the future, which can often make us feel anxious. So that's why trying to ground yourself, be in the present moment, focusing on the things within your control in the present moment. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Tess Brown, who is born and raised in the UK. She's a clinical psychologist and today is all about women's mental health with a focus on these past crazy 18 months in the pandemic. Has it really been 18 months? I think so. Yeah. Because it, feels... it started in March or March of 2020. Yeah. Wow. Feels like yesterday, but also it feels like it's a hundred years at the same time. Yeah. Well, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for being with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Ah, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you today, ladies. Um, so yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, as you say, from the UK, I'm born and raised there. I am also a mum of two. I've got two little boys, three and five, who definitely keep me busy. I just relocated back to the UK actually been living out in Asia in Hong Kong for the last seven years so just been through big transitions myself and and just kind of like recentering myself back in the UK um but yeah I'm really pleased to be here today well thank you so much why don't we get dive into like you're a clinical psychologist but maybe you can dive into what that means and like what your areas of expertise or your specialties that you focus in on for our audience to better understand you Sure, sure. So, so a clinical psychologist is a psychologist who specializes in mental health. So a clinical psychologist could work with people right across the age range from like babies right through to older adults. And we're also trained to work with a real breadth of um, problems, difficulties, and also different kinds of severity. So right through from kind of quite mild um, through to the more severe end. Um, myself, um, I specialize in working with adults. In particular, I work with people who've experienced trauma and I also specialize in working in maternal mental health. So that's working with mainly women, some, some fathers as well, um, but mainly women from sort of preconception right through to postpartum and beyond. But I also see other women uh, just with sort of general mental health concerns as well. So um, quite a quite a breadth in my role. And how did you get started in your field? Like, I'm always curious for psychologists. Like, do you just love helping people? And I kind solving? of always wanted to be a psychologist. Did you know that? I think you could be a good psychologist. I think I would. You too. listen well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many people say that, I think, and it's, it's kind of a, a career I think a lot of people get interested in, maybe as they like travel through life a little bit, um, and they want a bit of career change. I mean, a lot of people who kind of pivot into the, the therapist role sort of later on in their, in their lives. Um, 
But for me, I I was one of these people who knew from a really young age that I wanted to be a psychologist, like annoyingly young. I think I was 16. Um, I've been studying psychology since I was 16. Um, I And why, I guess, I guess a couple of things. I remember being really fascinated in people's minds from a really young age. At the time, there was a really popular TV drama um, being shown in the UK, which was all about a criminal psychologist. And I was just fascinated by it. What was it called? Cracker. It's probably uh, like an NCIS kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know if it reached you guys. But, no. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was kind of all about getting into the minds of criminals. And, um, and, and I think at that point, that fascinated me. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then alongside that, I was really fortunate when I was younger to, to be experienced to um, experience with a real broad range of people with different um, issues, different kinds of disabilities, do different voluntary projects that I got involved with. And I just found that work so rewarding. I think um, the experience of supporting somebody and, and feeling the reward of that was was so reinforcing and so I guess when it came to thinking about careers kind of combining my love of of caring supporting for people along with my kind of fascination with the mind psychologists sort of stood out as, as the direction to go and so yeah I just I just kind of like went for it it's quite a journey but <laughs> got there in the end I, I think that's so cool that that was something that you always wanted to do ever since you were like 16 And I love that, like, you enjoy it. Because I think that's the other thing that I've always been curious about is, like, I've always wanted to ask my psychologist of, like, do you even, do you really enjoy this? Do you like listening to my problems all day? Do you, not just my problems, but, like, everybody's problems. problems. Like, is that, like, do you actually enjoy that? I don't know. I I have, I have a question, actually. So are you doing a lot of, like, tele or, like, Zooms and, and FaceTimes and all that kind of stuff right now. Do you do people in the States as well as where you are? Or are you mostly focused in the UK? So I I work with people globally, but actually due to kind of specific licensing um, regulations in the States, um, I can't work with people in the States. So oh, in the States, yeah. it's a little bit different to the rest of the world in that um, I think I've got this right. But my understanding of it is that each state has its own sort of licensing um, they do. regulation. Yep. And so you, a therapist who's licensed to say to work in um, New York state can only work with people within that state or California within California. So yeah. um, even within the state, you can't have one therapist who will, who will be licensed in every state. So um, for that reason, I cannot. I if did you, not know that, but I was actually curious because I was wondering if you found similar, if there were similarities, mm-hmm. how similar, you know, the people that you worked with in the UK were from the people that you worked with in the US, oh, the people that you worked with in Hong Kong. Like I would be curious to see what the different um, areas bred as far as mentality and, and how and how people were doing. Yeah, that would have been an interesting mm-hmm. question. But like like she said, e- even if most of my therapist is in Texas, but if I'm in New York and we do a telecall, she can't do a telecall mm-hmm. because I'm in New York. So she's like, I can't, you're in New York. I can only yeah. teleconference with you if you're That's in crazy. Texas. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, But that would have been really cool perce- perception just, to get. Just curious, yeah. Yeah, I've certainly found that with when I've had clients and when I was based in Hong Kong from the States, um, quite a few of them would like travel and especially in the last 18 months get stuck in the States and it's like a time when they've never needed made speak to me more and and we can't we can't chat because of those regulations so yeah it's tough yeah you think that they would want to make it easier but not so much 
I am curious, like, before we dive into the whole pandemic and women's mental health during the pandemic, what are some of the hesitations that you think that people like avoid going to talk to a therapist? Like what are some of those initial hesitations of going to therapy? Great question. I think one that I hear a lot is people really minimizing their problems. I get so many people when I meet them for the first time who sort of say, oh, you know, I shouldn't really be here. But, you know, you must talk to people who are in so much worse place than me. Um, and they really minimize their problems and um, just assume that, that they're, they're problems that they are not important. So I think that can be a, a real a real obstacle, a real uh, barrier to coming. I think a lot of people are quite fearful of therapy. Um, sometimes that's a really conscious fear. Some, sometimes it's, it's a bit more unconscious, but this fear of, you know, what's it going to bring up? What, what am I going to be made to? talk about you're never going to be made to talk about anything in therapy you're always the one in the driving seat but I think a lot of people um are quite anxious about that about kind of you know um opening up a can of worms and and, and feeling really uncontained and so I think that the first step is just getting yourself there getting yourself in the room and and, and making sure that you, you're you're working with a therapist who's the right one for you that's someone that you you feel like you've got a good rapport with that you that you trust um and and then, you know, that later is when, you know, the, the, the hard, the deeper work comes. But the first step is just kind of making that that connection and working out um, if you do feel safe to, to explore those things with somebody. So, and then I guess my next question onto that is like, someone gets there. What are the things that makes therapy not successful for somebody? Or, or what are the things that you feel like do make therapy successful also? Yeah, maybe we can get both sides of the coins. Like what can somebody do to to get success out of their sessions? And then what do you find people doing that keeps them from being successful? Well, one of the things I always say to people when I, when I see them for the first session is quite quite truly how much they, they get from therapy really depends on how much they put in. And, and what I mean by that is if it's just a case of maybe coming, you know, week on week and just spending that kind of hour thinking about yourself, talking about yourself and then doing nothing with that, you know, just, just, just carrying on with your life as you were, nothing's going to change. I mean, you might, you might leave therapy a little bit more insightful about yourself, might have had the opportunity to have a bit of reflection and processing, but if you really want to experience the full benefits of therapy and, and the people that I see who, who do that are the ones who are really willing to do the work. You know, it's the same as if you go to a gym. You go to a gym and you just kind of like, you go through the workout and you're like, pick, I've been to the gym today. I've, I've done that for the week. You know, you're not going to, you're not really going to see any progress, any real gains unless you really invest yourself in it. So, so basically doing the homework, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Doing the homework. <laughs> Well, I also think it's to your point, using your gym analogy, it's not just about going to the gym and doing the workout. It's about eating healthy. It's about maybe making, uh, not going out to eat at restaurants. Who are you surrounding yourself with? What are you putting in your body? All those things. I also think there's an important distinguishment between what success looks like from therapy. So for example, for me, and I'm curious to hear your take about this, but for me, I went to couples therapy prior to my divorce. And maybe some people would generalize that and think success meant like you fix the marriage. But for me, success understood that that wasn't a possibility for us, that we were very different people because of, you know, our upbringings and this and that, and like that, that we weren't a fit. And so that was a success. It just didn't look maybe how the world would call that a success. 
Right. Well, and I also think too, to Courtney's point, it's for me, because I have been, I'm a very like pro therapy advocate and um, like my children do play therapy. I've done therapy for decades. It's also about like finding the good fit and match. And if you're finding that you're, you're finding yourself going to someone and you're, you're feel like you're putting in the work, but you're not getting what you thought you'd be Mm -hmm. getting back. It's like, that's not an end all be all. You have to it's like dating. Well, that's part of the work though, is to, like seek right. something else out is what you're saying, right? right. Yeah. Try several yeah. things. Um, but to before. your point about they do make it kind of hard. It is, I feel like even when we were trying to find someone a couple of years ago, it is hard. Like it's hard to get into people. It's hard to, you know, like schedule time. It's expensive. It's like, they really do sort of make, I think like this, at least in the States, there's like a bit of a barrier to entry. It's a little hard to, to cross. And I could see that being an issue if, you know, people are already hesitant and they're like, well, I've called five, six places and no one can take me. Like, what am I doing? You know? Right. Imagine if you were in like Ithaca, New York and you're in that spot and you only have 10 options that are within 10 miles of you. Like, that's the one thing I like about the telemedicine and the pandemic. It's really broadened it where now if you're in Ithaca, New York, you have the entire state of New York at your fingertips because now you can do the virtual stuff. So, and that might be a good segue into the pandemic. So let's start with like, this is probably going to be a loaded question, but let's start with how have women been impacted from the last 18 months? Like what are some of the things that we've been impacted? Like how have we felt what has the pandemic like given us? Yeah the consequences oh goodness so so much and in so many different ways and to so many different degrees for different people um I think one of the the most common experiences that I think um, most of your listeners would probably relate to is is just how much anxiety women have felt there's just been so much uncertainty and unpredictability and, and there continues to be about the pandemic and the consequences of that, you know, in terms of our safety, in terms of our health, in terms of schooling, work, travel, you know, all the things. And uncertainty breeds anxiety. It's like pouring, you know, petrol onto onto that fire. It's, it's, It's a breeding ground to feel anxious. And so I think having, I think women have experienced higher levels of anxiety and that comes out in different ways for different people. It might be more kind of general anxiety. It might be more anxiety around health or, you know, the safety of yourself or your loved ones. So there's definitely, definitely been an increase in anxiety. I think another area which I have seen so much of and experienced myself, I mean, I can totally relate to all of these things. And that's a a, a real sense of sadness to all the losses that we've experienced in, in the last 18 months. And of course, I include loss of due to bereavement within that, um, which so many people have experienced, but also losses in terms of losses of plans, you know, people who had their weddings planned or, you know, school children who are expecting to go to their high school prom. Experience. It's like grieving the experiences. Yeah, yeah. Or even like moms in the hospital who didn't get to have people there for their labor, like all of those. Right, like first time moms that were pregnant and they had to go through all of the ultrasounds alone, all of the doctor appointments alone. When this is supposed to be like a bonding moment for you and your partner 
and you had to do that solo. Totally. And it turns, you know, it turns so many kind of quite everyday experiences in some, to some degree into real traumas, you know, not being able to see friends, family, connect with them. Um, there's just been so many losses and there continues to be so many losses. And I think that that inevitably feeds into a sense of sadness, sense of grief, and for some people, depression um, and, and, and really low mood. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of different things. And I think, especially, you know, especially for women who have maybe been juggling many more roles than um, perhaps they're used to, that can, that can also breed real strong sense of overwhelm and stress as well. You're taking on all these additional tasks on top of all the things you were doing already. Um, the same for men, but I think for more for women, yeah. That, that sort of goes into our next thing of like, why? Why have women been more impacted than men in the past 18 months? And you made a great point there of, you know, it's taking on this increased workload, especially working moms who had to juggle the pressures of working from home, having your children in your home, having them have to go through school and figuring that out. And I do believe as as much as I'm like, Men and women, let's be equal. I do believe that women bear the brunt of that in during this time, the past 18 months, to figure out how are you going to get your children's ed- children educated, finishing their schoolwork, staying on task, but also keeping up your work and your, you know, even making dinner, like ha- making well, dinner. Because it's one more thing. At, it's multiple more things added to the plate, but nothing got taken off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, some of that is probably um, accounted for by, you know, there's a lot of societal expectations on women, isn't there? This kind of this stereotypical role that they fill. And of course, that's not the, the case for, for, for every situation. But in some situations, the, the, as you say, the, the result of that is that you've, you've, you're suddenly you're playing all these roles. You know, you're not just mum, you're teacher, you're counsellor to your children, you're medic to them when they get hurt. Your, um, you know, the the sports coach, the um, the entertainer, on top of all the things that you're already doing, your job, um, you know, imagine your relationship with your partner, um, and somewhere amongst all of that, hopefully, hopefully, also like looking after yourself. But sadly, I think what's happened to many, many people this year is that 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 piece has just kind of got pushed aside. All these other things have been seen more as a as a priority, um, and I think that's where I think some of this personal expectation comes in because I think a lot of women tend to be quite perfectionist. They tend to have quite high expectations for themselves. And so they are expecting themselves to fulfill all these roles perfectly to be the best. And that's just, that's just impossible. So you're setting yourself up. You're basically setting yourself up to fail because, you know, perfect perfection is just not achievable. And so um, I think a lot of that pressure we unconsciously put that upon ourselves to be the best in all of these different guises. Um, and that and that obviously results in a sense of overwhelm, anxiety, stress. Um, yeah. It's really tough. Well, and I it, it does break my heart. And it's like, obviously, the married couple with kids is a situation in itself that was really difficult. Um, divorced couple with kids, also a very difficult situation to hand over the kids and like just hope that your 
ex who you're co-parenting with values the safety measurements that you're taking the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. And that is not that's not the case for a lot of of folks, especially if you're if you're co-parenting and it's high conflict. There could have been a lot of situations where you viewed of like, this is how we're going to keep our children safe. And then you hand it over and it's like, it could just be thrown out the door because mm-hmm. the other- And then brought to you. And brought, then brought, also brought, and back, then brought to back to yeah. your family. Like I could see that being a huge struggle that women had to deal with. I also think as far as relationships in COVID, it's so many things where, like it was the demise of so many things and it was the re it was the birth of so many things as well. Yeah. And in, in a way like relationships, I feel like people either like got stronger or they fell apart. Um, but there's so many people who I feel like have like met new people and gotten married during COVID or like gotten divorced during COVID. And there's just so much situational change has occurred during COVID because it really put people in this different headspace. It really put people in this just like here, here's where we are. We're together 24 seven. Like this is, what do you value? How are you handling the situation? And it really was like this make or break thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Also the thing that I think about is like, there is no way I could have gone through my divorce during middle of COVID thinking about how many times I had to go to the courthouse and how many times I had to go to my lawyer's and just the crazy that ensued, there's no way. And so I think that there's probably a lot of women who were in the middle of separation, in the middle of divorce, and it's like still unsettled because there's things that aren't open. They can't get into a virtual court. I mean, they've they've done a lot better job now where they have the virtual courts, but still it's hard. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't imagine yeah. that. I was very thankful that my divorce was finalized like, Literally right before everything started getting crazy. Yeah. It'd be so tough. And there's so much data as well to show the increase in domestic violence and those kinds of things within relationships because um, you know, people are stuck at home more and they they haven't they haven't got the support structures, they haven't got even the accessibility to get out out the house. So that's definitely something that we've seen an increase of. I also think that that has resulted in people being more dependent on things, substances, alcohol, all these other things. And so I feel like, again, that goes to the the violence probably, but it's like someone, because they're stuck inside, they're like, oh, I don't have something better to do, end up drinking more, end up one thing leads to another. And it's created this dynamic, which also, this is probably a rabbit hole we don't want to go down, but I feel like there's this balance between there's this be safe, like do the responsible thing for your community and your society and your family and friends. Um, but also where's the line between like mental health yeah. and safety? Because I think that that's kind of what we've run into in so many ways where it's like, we haven't been living our lives for so long that there is this need to live our lives because if we don't, we're compromising our mental safety yeah. as well as our physical safety. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree agree with that. I think, you know, when this all started, we all thought it was just going to be a few months, didn't we? So we didn't mind the sacrifices that we took. We didn't mind not seeing our loved ones. We didn't mind, you know, stopping our usual access to the gym or whatever it was. But I think 18 months on, now there's very much that recognition that this isn't going away fast, that we're still very much sort of in it and we don't know when the end of this is going to be. And so a lot of those things which we have kind of given up or or put on hold actually they're now really taking a toll on our mental health. So, you know, there's resources that, yeah, you can go without them for a short period of time, 
But actually, if there are resources that keep your mental health stable, that keep you psychologically resilient, actually, 18 months is a, is a very long time to go without them and not to have an impact. Yeah. We've had a lot of um, yo-yos where it's like, we're good. Okay, everyone, we got our numbers down. Now you can go back out. Everyone goes back out. Get back inside. The numbers are are spiking. And then it's like, okay, the vaccine is out. And I think there's this misinformation that's out there that the vaccine is like the polio shot that eradicates, but it doesn't. It's like the flu shot where it minimizes. And I think the the getting the vaccine, which is great, I think some people are like, oh no, it's cool. I'm I'm vaccinated. It's like but it doesn't eradicate you from ever getting it or forever spreading it. It just minimizes your symptoms and minimizes the spread. And so I've definitely seen these peaks and valleys and this like rush out, rush back in, rush out. Are we going in? Are we going out? Yeah. Yeah. I think though that I will say for me, like having had the shot, it is something that helped my anxiety surrounding the situation because if you, if you think about one of the things that gives me some situational anxiety is things that like, obviously like anyone else, like things that aren't in my control. Well, that's totally out of my control. But what is in my control, for example, is to get vaccinated. So at least that was in my control. At least I took that sure. step. Yeah. And then that's, I kind of, I feel like I get less anxiety when I know I've done what I can do at least. Right. But then obviously that's followed up by like, yeah, you know, there's, there's different ways to approach that. Are you like going to dinner with a couple of friends? Are you going to like, you know, concerts with, yeah. 80,000 people. It's two different approaches. And so I think that that's kind of what you're saying too, but it's yeah. like, there are different ways to approach a situation, but I feel that my anxiety is less when I take precautions yeah. personally. Oh no, I, I completely agree. I'm just saying as a whole society in terms of the pandemic and like thinking that the solution has mm -hmm. been there and then we pull back, that takes a toll on our mental health because we're like, oh, finally I can book my trip. It's like the spiked cortisol this. though. It's always like, we're always like, my, we're up, we're down. We're my kids edge. get to like, go back to school. And then all of a sudden, like one week before, it's like, oh my God, this county has 111 cases on the first day. Are we going back to school? Am I going to have to totally yo -yo. do this? And it's like, yeah. okay, we can't send your kids to school with masks. And then it's like a week later, we're mandating masks. And it's like, just, it is the constant back and forth yeah. um, that it's I a see. Real, it's a real sort of emotional roller coaster, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that, that sense of kind of excitement and hope, normality, and then utter disappointment and despair and things don't work out. And and then, you know, do you, do you dare to hope again? Do you dare to plan for the future? Or do you protect yourself against future disappointment by making no plans? But actually, you know, planning and thinking of the future brings excitement. So it's kind of about... Yeah, it's like juggle, isn't it? It's like where does the balance lie? Like how much, how much forward thinking can I do without putting myself at a huge risk for if it falls fall through again? Yeah, um, and you know, I think that's such an individual benchmark, isn't it? I know for me personally, I am a real planner. I love thinking about the future and, and, and planning things and getting really excited, doing all the research. Like I really, really enjoy that. A part, you know, part of the the process for me. But I have definitely found over the last 18 months that when I've really got my hopes up about big trips, so for me, it was kind of going to the UK to visit family when I was based in Hong Kong and having, you know, multiple trips cancelled. Um, it got to a point where I just, it felt, you know, it felt safer for me. It felt like I could be, just, just ever so slightly feel a little bit more in control if I didn't make those big plans. And instead, I uh, it's still planned because that's, that's an important part of who I am. It's part of my personality, but I'm kind of making more shorter term plans. I'm kind of just thinking about 
what do I want to do this weekend? You know, and of course, sometimes they would fall through as well. You know, um, parks would close, we'd be locked down, whatever it was. But I think just um, just kind of protecting yourself against some of those massive, just huge disappointments, really, because it's yeah, as you say, it's just been it's just been one after another, isn't it? It's really tough. So, what are some things that you can tell our listeners? What are some tips about how to kind of cope in this situation? Things that maybe they can do to feel a little bit better when when things do feel out of control? Because I feel like we've established how we all feel. Yeah. <laughs> and now what, yeah. what are some things? And obviously it's a really individual answer, but what are some things that we um, can do about that as women? So I think, I mean, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, particularly in relation to the pandemic, are all things which are the sort of external factors, aren't they? They're things which, which we genuinely can't control. And so, of course, we're going to think about them. We're going to consider them. But what we know is that the more time and energy and focus that you um, you put on on those things, which are outside of your control, the more the more at risk you are of, of feeling anxious. The more the more at risk you are of kind of catastrophizing and and and, and making predictions and, and 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 getting worried and and that becoming more overwhelming. So one of the things that I will often uh, advise my clients to do is a really simple exercise, actually, where they kind of we draw out two circles, like a larger one, and then an inner circle in the middle. Uh, and in the inner circle, just noting down all the things which are under your control. So things like what time you wake up in the day, or the food you choose to put in your body, or the activities that you choose to do. So the things, you know, of course, you don't have total control over all those things. Especially if you've got young children, you definitely don't have control over what time you wake up in the morning. But you know, you you, you work with what what you can and really thinking about things what what can I control what things what things are in front of me in my in my present moment in my here and now um and then in the outer circle putting down the things which actually you're not in control of so you know the 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 global pandemic um the weather whether your partner's in a grumpy mood (laughs) you know the reactions to behaviors and thoughts and feelings of other people all of those things will of course influence you and you can influence them to some degree but you can't control them and actually when we put all our efforts and energy into trying to control something that is uncontrollable that's when we end up feeling exhausted we feel depleted so so really trying to hone in on those kind of small things like staying in your lane um, and it might seem like a really sort of simple, sort of uh, small, small things to do, but actually it all adds up. You know, if you just kind of like take each day, day by day and think like, right, today, what, what, how do I want to plan my diary? And kind of working with that rather than thinking too globally, um, that, that can really help. Um, and I think another thing that's probably really helpful for your listeners to think about is, where the focus where the focus is their attention lies. As humans, we have a real tendency to spend a lot of time either thinking about the past, reviewing things we've done, you know, the should have, would have, could have type thinking, or our head is often in the future. We're thinking about um, you know, what what's coming up. We're worrying about what's coming up. We're making, you know, catastrophic predictions and, and so forth about things in the future. Whereas actually often the safest place that we can be is the here and now, is the present moment. Um, and you know you hear an awful lot nowadays about mindfulness which is essentially the practice of being present in the here and now and the reason we hear a lot about it is because there's just an abundance of of evidence to show that actually if we can sort of retrain our brain to be a bit more present focused that actually alleviates us from being in the past which can often bring us down or the future which can often make us feel anxious 
So that's why to trying to ground yourself, be in the present moment, focusing on the things within your control in the present moment, what's right in front of you. Um, when you're living with all this uncertainty, all this chaos, that can be really helpful. One more question. You just mentioned about trying to stay in the present moment. What are some ways that we can, if we find ourselves drifting off into the past or into the future, what are ways that we can regroup ourselves? Refocus. Or re- yeah, of. refocus to present. Like what What do you tell your patients to do or what, what advice could you give to our listeners for that? So a really lovely sort of grounding exercise that um, I'll often share with people and, and I do myself is the five senses exercise. I'm not sure if you've heard of this before, but it's just kind of pausing what you're doing. And this, this could be in response to your feeling overwhelmed or stressed. You know, you're anxious because you're thinking about something. Or it could just be a kind of a, a micro moment of self-care in your day. You know, you just make it a, um, a habit to do it after you've eaten your lunch or after you put your kids to bed. And you just pause and you just ask yourself, what five things can I see around me right now? So it's just looking in your present moment and just naming in your head or saying them out loud if you prefer five things that you can actually see. So it might be, you know, um, a view out the window. It might be a glass on the table. It might be, you know, your phone. Um, on the side and um, the five things that you can see and then four things that you can hear so you know really focusing on the sounds in the present moment it might be the sound of traffic outside it might be the sound of air conditioning or your computer humming gently and then three things that you can feel so it might be the pressure of your feet on the floor where you're standing or the waistband on your on your jeans um, and then two things that you can smell might be you know perfume you put on that morning or the mug of coffee on your desk and then finally one thing you can taste you know maybe it's a mint you've just sucked or you know coffee on your breath or toothpaste from this morning so you're basically just trying to really engage your five senses in the here and now and just going through that really simple exercise can it just deviates your focus away from wherever it has been future past and it just really grounds you in the here and now and it just kind of buys you that little mindful moment, really. Um, and and a lot of people say, and I certainly find that that can be really, yeah, it can just be really grounding. It can be really soothing. You can bring your breathing into that as well. You know, just focusing on your breath can really anchor you too. So that's quite a simple, really accessible little exercise for people to try. I like that. Yeah, I really like that too. I was just thinking about it right now, but... Um, I love that. When I couldn't fall asleep when I was younger, my dad used to do this thing where he'd be like, okay, lay down. And then I would lay down and he'd be like, all right. Now like he would like start like my toe and he'd be like, okay, this is your toe. Like, now just relax that. And like the mm-hmm. leg, okay, relax that. And then it was just like piece by piece by piece, like just sort of like letting yourself like relax and, and melt before you can go to sleep. But it reminds me of that. It's sort of like piece by piece unpacking like, okay, where am I? How do I be present by noticing everything around me, feeling it, hearing it, smelling it, tasting it. And then like, you're sort of like grounded into that moment of where you are, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Well, this has been very helpful. Yeah, this has been amazing. So before we let you go, what's one thing that you want our listeners to know? Oh, gosh, just one thing. Let me think. No pressure. <laughs> so much. Um, gosh, I think if there's just one thing, I would just say, just know that you're not alone and know that things can get better. When we feel overwhelmed and stressed or low or anxious, whatever the feeling is, when it feels so big, it often feels like there's no way out. It often feels like no one will understand. No one else could possibly feel the way that I do. And no, no one will. It's a unique experience to you. That is true. But there are so many people out there who can empathize, who can support and who can, 
you know, healthy change. And, you know, whether that's reaching out to a friend, a family member, or whether it's reaching out to, you know, a professional like myself, I just really urge people to to just trust in the process. And, you know, you might not know how you're going to get out of this. You don't, might not know what you need to do to change things around, but just make that first step to just ask for help and just believe that, you know, things could change. I might not know how yet, but they could because they really can. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was really insightful and actually quite uplifting, I would say at the end. So thank you. We are so happy to have you here. You are one badass basic bitch. Um, We'll see you guys in our next episode. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you.